Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our desire at Grace Bible Fellowship is to proclaim the Word of God for the glory of God. At the center of our proclamation is the one who is Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We base who we are and what we do upon the good news of Jesus. If you would like to know more about this good news, or would like to know more about Grace Bible Fellowship, please visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. That's www.gbfperu.org. I'm glad you've decided to listen to the teaching of the Bible along with us, as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. I should like to draw our attention this morning to the book of Acts, the book of Acts chapter 4. We will be in verses 23 through 31 this morning of Acts chapter 4. As we continue to make our way through the book of Acts, and particularly as we see the risen Lord continue to act, even after He was crucified, even after He rose again from the dead, even after He ascended into heaven, The risen Lord, Jesus Christ, still working, still acting, even as he does to this day. If you're in the Pew Bible this morning, it's page 912, 912 in the Pew Bible. Would you stand with me again as we read God's word together this morning out of reverence and respect, honor for what he would say to us this morning through his word. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand 
and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Speak to us, O Lord, through your word. Give us ears that will hear for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Life is a pressure cooker. I don't think I need to necessarily prove that to you, do I? If you've been alive for very long, you know what I'm talking about. Life is a pressure cooker. There is pressure that comes upon you in life. Whether it comes in short spurts, short periods of time, or whether sometimes it happens over long durations of time. Maybe you felt the pressure recently. Maybe you are feeling the pressure right now in life. So what do you do when the pressure mounts in life? How do you cope with the pressure of life? Just like the pressure cooker has a little release valve to ensure that what you're cooking doesn't explode, what release have you found in life? What is it that allows you to breathe again? What is it that brings relief so that you do not explode? Before we find out what your release is, though, maybe we first need to go back further and think back to what causes the pressure. What is it that brings pressure to your life? At this point, you might be thinking, is he going to list every possible thing that might cause a person pressure, weight, Duress, stress, anxiety, worry, fear, despair, guilt, hardship, difficulty, and tribulation. I'm not going to go through all of that list because I, can think, I think we can sum it up more succinctly this morning. Here's what creates the pressure. God has put eternity 
into man's heart. And it terrifies him. It terrifies him because there is nothing in this cursed world that can save him, that can satisfy him, that can bring peace. And what perhaps terrifies him even more than this is that in those quiet moments of life, when he is left with just himself and his thoughts, he realizes there is nothing in himself that can save him that can satisfy him, that can bring him peace, that can provide the security that will last for an eternity that he knows is there in his heart. Whether it is realized or not, the pressure is how can sinful man be made right before a holy and righteous God And so that pressure needs a release, doesn't it? What is it then that's going to bring this release? The release is the Christian message. The release is the gospel. This is the only way your sin can be dealt with. And your guilt can be taken away. It's the only way that one can be ensured of their eternal security. The grace that relieves our fears and allows us to breathe again is the good news of Jesus Christ. This is the Christian message that we base our lives upon. It is all about Christ upon whom we've set our hope upon. It's everything to the Christian. And we know it's the only message, it's the only hope that can truly relieve and release the pressure of life. And let's notice, let's make note this morning of how the world treats pressure and compare that to how the Christian resolves pressure What does the world say for a moment when pressure mounts? I believe it often says, get away, retreat, take a vacation from your problems, seclude yourself away, and unwind. When the pressure mounts, many recoil and try to ignore the pressure. They try to forget about the pressure. They try to pretend like the pressure is not there. The gospel, however, for the Christian does not make us recoil. In fact, the gospel propels us to persevere even in the face of pressure in life. And what's interesting for the Christian now who has found the release in the gospel, who's found that eternal security that man is so desperately looking for, Where now do we often, as Christians, find pressure upon us? Sometimes it can be from our own sin. (laughs) But sometimes it can be from the world upon us. Pressure in the world that would try to influence us or, or change us. Even when the world threatens us with its pressure, 
when it tries to silence us or quiet us, how do we respond? Do we give in to the pressure and recoil? Or has the gospel been such a release for our soul, a freedom and a joy in our lives that now we need to proclaim it? The pressure that we receive from the world to try to get us to recoil and seclude ourselves away and try to convince us that that we don't have the answer to what man needs is a lie. We have what we need and we have what mankind needs. And so we have to move forward. The world will try to convince us that we don't have what it takes. We don't have what the world needs. We don't have what mankind needs. We know that this gospel, this Christian message is everything. But they're right about something. We still lack something that we need. And that's where our text brings us this morning. When the pressure mounts against gospel proclamation, we lack the courage and the confidence we need to remain faithful to the task. We lack the boldness that we need when that pressure mounts against us. So how do we get this courage and confidence? How do we become people who are bold in our gospel proclamation? And I think the answer lies here in Acts chapter 4. So where are we in the midst of these verses that we just have read? Peter and John had come to the temple to worship. They had seen a lame man, crippled from birth, unable to walk there, begging at the temple, asking for alms. And this beggar had asked Peter and John, two of Christ's apostles, Two men who had just been with Jesus, who had just heard Jesus teach them and instruct them, who had 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 Jesus love them and show His compassion to them. Two men who had seen Jesus hang upon the cross and die. Two men who had seen Jesus after He had been risen from the dead, who had seen Him and touched Him. And then who saw Jesus ascend into heaven. Here are these two apostles with this beggar. And the beggar asking for alms. And Peter says, silver and gold have I none. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And what does the man do? He walks. He leaps. He praises God. And it gives Peter the opportunity to preach a a gospel message to the crowd in the temple. 5,000 people, and probably more, 5,000 plus people come to know Jesus on that day, are brought into the kingdom of God, are brought into God's family. What a joyful day, but not everyone was joyful. The Jewish authorities... 
those people who ruled over the temple, they didn't like it. So they arrest Peter and John. They take them before this council called the Sanhedrin of 70 Jewish leaders. Where again, Peter proclaims the gospel. There is no other name under heaven by which man can be saved. Jesus' name is the only name that saves. And those 70 men have a problem because there is the evidence of this healed man standing right before their eyes. And everyone's seen it, and everyone knows it, and everyone's heard the message. And so what do they do? They tell Peter and John, don't do it anymore. Stop it. Don't talk about Jesus. Don't teach about Jesus. Don't tell people the gospel. Stop it. Or else. And so Peter and John leave. And they come to the church, don't they, here in verse 23? When they were released, they went to their friends. So they're coming now back to the church. They're coming back to this fellowship of believers. And you can imagine this because this is probably what would happen if we were in their shoes. You come back to your friends, you come back to the church, and what are they going to say? What happened? Tell us what they told you. Tell us what they said. And so Peter and John tell them about the threats that these Jewish authorities had made against them. The same Jewish authorities who had beaten Jesus. The same Jewish authorities who had sent Jesus to Pilate, who later then crucified Jesus on a cross. And so what do they do after they hear about all that had happened to Peter and John? They lift up their voices together and they pray. The circumstances surrounding the mounting pressure against the cause of Christ made them bold to go before God in prayer. And that's a prerequisite for bold gospel proclamation. We are bold to go before God's throne of grace. We draw near with confidence, not with timidity and uncertainty, but with confidence knowing that He will give us the grace and the mercy to help us in our time of need. If we have such a great and necessary and important Christian message, people need to hear it and we cannot recoil. And Peter and John and all of those first people in the church knew that. And so they pray. And it's through their prayer that we learn about bold gospel proclamation and how bold gospel proclamation is going to be a part of our lives. So how is it going to happen? How are we going to get this boldness? How are we going to be people who are bold? Three things this morning. Number one, prepare for bold gospel proclamation by praising God for His supreme sovereignty. Let me say that again. One, prepare for bold gospel proclamation by praising God for His supreme sovereignty. Where do you start when you pray? Where is it that you begin when you pray to God? 
you get out that list, have it there before you. Start to go down that list, making your requests to God. God, here are the things that are problems in my life. Here are the areas that need to be fixed. Here are concerns that I have. Here are concerns of other people that I have. And so you begin to work your way down that laundry list of praying to God. Do perhaps sometimes we treat God like a genie in the bottle? God, here are all my wish, wishes. Grant some of them, would you? Where do these people start when they pray to God? Sovereign Lord. It's this idea of master. And who is this sovereign Lord? He is the creator. He is the one who created all things. He is the one who spoke into nothingness and something began, something existed. He brought things out of nothing into existence merely by the word of his voice. This God is the God who created everything in all the different spheres, heaven, earth, sea, and everything in them. And if God has created everything and made everything, that means that everything is his. He owns everything. He has supreme authority and supreme control over everything. This means, dear friends, there is good news this morning. God has created even you. He has given you life and breath. He has brought you specifically into being, and He has brought you into being for a particular purpose and a particular reason. God being the creator of your life brings meaning to your life. Why are so many people in our world unable to find meaning in life? Why do so many wander without any purpose? It's because they've cut the almighty creator God out of their life. They've cut out the only one who can give any meaning and any purpose to their life. God being the creator of God means that he is the good God. When, when God created everything, it says he created everything and it was good. And it gets to the very end of everything that God created. And he says, behold, it was very good. And what's also good news for us this morning is that God has the right to tell us, since He created us, how we are to live. He rules over everything. That means we are supposed to live under His rule as well. And God is good in telling us exactly how He wants us to live. And since this cre Creator God is so great, it tells us that His sovereignty and control and power is great. Nothing is outside of His control. Nothing escapes His grasp. But notice here, they move on from this, the Creator God, to talk about the God who speaks. Not only did God create everything, He spoke. God spoke and chose to reveal Himself to mankind through His Word. God is not only the divine Creator, He is also the divine Creator communicator. 
He made Himself known. He made it known to us that He is sovereign over, over everything. And I find it fascinating here how this first church prayed. Look at verse 25. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. So they're about to quote the Old Testament. But they realize here is this person, King David, who wrote part of the Old Testament. But that he was carried along, he was guided by the Holy Spirit. He was guided by God himself to say and write down exactly what God wanted him to say. And then they quote a couple of verses here from Psalm, Psalm chapter 2. And I find it fascinating. I wonder if you've thought about this before. Why did this church pray the Bible to God? Doesn't God know what he wrote? <laughs> Doesn't God know what he said through the mouth of David 1,000 years before they pray this prayer? Why in the world would you ever pray God's word back to him? But they prayed the Bible, and I think they did it for this reason. It was resided to exalt the accuracy and the power of God's word. It was recited to bring glory to God because what God had spoke through David in Psalm 2 is what came to pass. These first Christians see that Psalm 2 looked forward to their day and what they were experiencing. And so they pray this prayer to God. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain. The nations, the kingdoms, the people of the earth are seeking to cast off the rule and the reign of the sovereign God. They rage against him, they plot against him. In fact, these rulers, you see this here in verse 26, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together. Here are kings and rulers who sometimes are opposed to each other, but now, in fact, they've come together, they've joined forces to come against one cause, and what is the one cause that they are against? They are against God, and they are against His anointed King. They're against His Christ. They are against His Messiah. And they are going to do everything that they can within their power to overthrow God and His King and to conquer them, to eliminate them, to make them obsolete. They will fight against God tooth and nail. And you know what it says right after this in Psalm 2? If you were to read there, it says this, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. This is the only place in the Bible, that's Psalm 2, verse 4, it's the only place in the Bible where it says God laughs. You ever think about God laughing? What is it here that God's laughing about? These people, they think that they can get control and power over me, the sovereign creator of all things, who rules over everything, who has power over all things. 
They can plot all they want. They can rage all they want. They can get together with the common cause of trying to overthrow what God is trying to do and what God will do through His plan. But all of their might and all of their power and all of their intelligence and ingenuity, all of their military skill, they cannot get out from under God's sovereign control. And as these Christians pray, they recognize this is exactly what they've seen fulfilled before their eyes. That here it is, in this city, people gathered together against Jesus Christ. He is the Lord's anointed. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And that it brings us to these two men, Herod and Pontius Pilate. If you look at verse 26 there, it says, kings of the earth set themselves. I think those kings of the earth, I think that refers here to this person, Herod. His name is Herod Antipas. He's the son of another Herod that you might know, Herod the Great. Herod the Great built the temple that they were in. Herod the Great was also the one who commanded that all of the children, two years and younger, would be executed when Christ was born in the city of Bethlehem. Now this is his son, Herod Antipas. And there's another man. We know this one may be better, Pontius Pilate. I would say Pontius Pilate here refers to the rulers in verse 26. Pontius Pilate was a Roman ruler set up by the Roman government to rule over the region of Israel and Jerusalem. And what's interesting is that Herod and Pontius Pilate, they didn't like each other. They weren't friends they were somewhat opposed. But do you know what? The same author who wrote the book of Acts, Luke, do you know what Luke wrote in his gospel before this? That actually, these two men became friends. And do you know what caused them to become friends? The trial of Jesus Christ. That's when they got together. That's when they became friends, when they together stood against the Lord's anointed and against Jesus. Who else do we see here in our verses? Along with the Gentiles, I think Gentiles goes back to end of verse 25, why do the Gentiles rage? Gentiles, I think that refers to those Roman authorities who crucified Jesus who nailed Him to the cross, who drove the nails, who put Him there, who hung Him there, who stuck Him with a spear in His side. And there's one more group of people who came together against Jesus Christ. Look who that is. Maybe the most surprising of all, the peoples of Israel. And I think those peoples of Israel there refers back to, again, verse 25, the very end, the people's plot in vain. And I think when they pray, the, people, the peoples of Israel here, that there's something that's shocking. Because when you read Psalm 2, and you read about the Gentiles and the peoples and the kings of the earth and the rulers that were gathered together, I mean, if you were a Jew and you read Psalm 2, that's everybody out there. All those people out there that are coming against God, that are coming against His Messiah, that are coming against His anointed. Never us. Oh, no, no. We would never go against God. 
But now, what does it say here? Even those peoples who plotted in vain, those were the peoples of Israel who plotted in vain against the Lord and against His anointed. I mean, isn't that what John tells us in his gospel? Jesus came to His own and His own did not receive Him. They rejected Him. But to those who did receive Him, He gave the right to become children of God. Shocking, the peoples of Israel, the people who were supposed to be the people of God, the people who had been chosen by God, the people who were called His children, turned against Him. But look at, why did all this happen? Why did all these people get together? Look at what it says in verse 28. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. All of this happened exactly how God wanted it to happen. They were not thwarting God's plan. No, they were accomplishing God's plan. This is how God had destined for salvation to come to mankind. And again, we see here, man's responsible for the evil and the sin that they have done. And yet God was in control of all of it, while not being guilty of evil for the sin himself. He used the evil, the sin, to accomplish his own purposes of salvation and ultimately bring glory to himself. It was God's sovereignty that brought Jesus Christ to the cross. It was all according to God's plan that Jesus would be nailed to a cross of wood, that he would be lifted up on the cross, that he would take our sin upon himself, that he would be punished, take the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin upon himself, that he would shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sin to wash us clean, And make us acceptable in God's eyes. That he would pay the price, the complete price, in our place. That he would breathe his last breath, experiencing death, dying. There he was, the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, dead on a cross. Executed in our place. So that all who would look to him might be saved. Even though his body then lay in a tomb for three days, death could not hold him down, but he rose again from the dead on the third day. God vindicated this Christ. God demonstrated that he was the perfect sacrifice to atone for all of our sins, past, present, future. And that this one, this Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, then ascended bodily into heaven where he is now seated at God's right hand, ruling and reigning. He is the Lord. He is our Savior. And he calls on you today, if you have not put your trust in him, to place your trust in him, to fully rely upon him. Confess him as the Lord, as the King. And you will not be put to shame, but you will receive the gift of life, that you repent and that you turn from your sins, and that you will be brought then into the family of God as a child of God. God has put His sovereignty on display in the cross of Jesus Christ, and there is no better place for anyone to see that sovereignty of God. What a wise 
glorious plan that God had? Do you marvel at God's plan? Do you marvel at what God has done? Do you see that it is God's perfect plan? We praise God, my friends, for God's sovereignty, and we meditate on God's sovereignty. And we do that because it's doing something. When we think about God's sovereignty and all that He's done, it's preparing our hearts. It's tilling the soil in our hearts to get us ready for bold gospel proclamation. It's creating an atmosphere in our hearts where bold gospel proclamation can be instilled in us and where then it will grow and it will flourish. And here are sometimes where I think people have got it wrong. There are people who might wrongly think that if you truly believe and understand God's sovereignty, then it kills bold gospel proclamation. That it kills evangelism. They would say, well, if God is in control, if God is sovereign, then I don't need bold gospel proclamation because God is going to do it anyway. That, my friends, is completely opposite of what the Bible teaches. The Bible doesn't teach that God's sovereignty squashes gospel proclamation. No, rather, it enhances gospel proclamation. It makes gospel proclamation urgent. We begin to see the need of boldly proclaiming the gospel because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. And having seen God's sovereignty in the midst of those who were against Jesus Christ is only going to embolden us more when people come against us because of the cross of Christ. For if they were against Christ... Brothers and sisters, they will certainly be against us. And when there are those who threaten us and tell us, don't do it anymore or else, that we will say and we will see that we are not out of God's plan. That we are not out of God's control. That such pressure against us does not mean that something is wrong with us or that we are doing something contrary to God's plan, but that we are precisely in God's plan and that God is still in control just as when these people were against Christ. He was fulfilling His plan. So when people come against us, And our bold proclamation of the gospel, we will know that we are not outside of where God wants us, but we are exactly where God wants us. We are in line with Christ. We are in line with His apostles. We are in line with those Christians who throughout the ages have been persecuted. That God even accomplished His plan through them, even when people were against Him. Prepare your hearts, my brothers and sisters. Prepare your hearts for bold gospel proclamation by praising God for His supreme, sovereign control so that you can cling to that when people attempt to extinguish your boldness. But that's the problem, isn't it? That's your problem, isn't it? You don't have any boldness. 
And so what are you going to do? Number two, ask for bold gospel proclamation because it comes from God. Ask for bold gospel proclamation because it only comes from God. My family and I like to eat at Chick-fil-A. And I remember in a Chick-fil-A where we used to frequent, there was a sign that said this, we didn't invent the chicken, just the chicken sandwich. Now, in my own humble preferences, if you want to get a good chicken sandwich, there's only one place to go. Go to Chick-fil-A. I know it's fast food. I know it might not be the healthiest. But again, in my own humble estimation, there's only one place to go to get a good chicken sandwich. I wonder where we go when it comes to finding bold gospel proclamation. Where do you go to get that? How do you get the boldness, the courage, the confidence to tell other people about the good news? Do you have to conjure it up in yourselves? Do you have to try to give yourself a little pep talk? Try to rally the troops in your mind so that you can get enough courage to say what you need to say? Where do you find boldness? My friends, there is only one place to go, and that is to God. Go to God. That is exactly what the church does here. They recognize they lack boldness, and so they go to God. And this is all of us, my dear Christians. This is all of us. We all lack boldness, and so we all need to go to God. Left to ourselves, left on our own, left to our own ways, we lack boldness. But there is a way to remedy the problem. We ask of God. And so that's what they do here. And now, Lord, look upon upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. They begin by saying, Lord, you know the threats of the Jewish authorities. You know what they are. You know that they've threatened us. You know the teeth or the lack of teeth behind those threats. But God, looking upon those threats, does not mean that those threats are going to stop them from proclaiming the gospel. No, because that's the very next thing they ask for God to do. Help us to continue to speak the word with all boldness. God is the one giving here. God is the one granting And they are those who are speaking the very word of God. They want to tell other people about the saving message of the crucified and risen Lord. And they need boldness, courage, and confidence to do it. Does that sound familiar? You relate to that in your life? You think you need boldness, confidence? They do not shy away from what they must do in order to be obedient to God. And they say, Lord, as we speak your word with boldness, continue to work, continue to confirm your word. That's this idea of while you stretch out your hand, that hand is speaking about God's power. God has the power to heal. There are signs and wonders that will be performed through the name of Jesus Christ. 
And so they pray, God, let us be bold, and then as we speak these words, confirm your words in people's hearts and mind so that they know that this is the truth. They need boldness in the face of continuing threats. They need boldness because even in some of those healings, even in some of those signs and wonders, they were not going to convince everybody. And there would still be those against the cause of Jesus Christ. So they cried out to God, God, give us boldness to continue to speak your word. Notice for a moment what they don't say. They do not ask for comfort. They didn't say, God, make us comfortable. They didn't even ask for the threats to be removed. They didn't ask for God to take them out of these uncertain and dire circumstances. What would we pray for in these circumstances? God, take away these threats. God, remove me out of this situation. God, this is uncomfortable. It is awkward. It is difficult. I don't like it. Take it away. But this isn't what they prayed. Maybe we can learn from them that in the midst of this circumstance, in the midst of your circumstances in life, instead of praying, take it away, to pray, grant me to continue to speak your word, your gospel, your message with boldness. I wonder if we would look at our lives today, if we would take a moment, examine ourselves and be truthful with ourselves Are you bold? Do you have courage and confidence to proclaim the gospel? Why? Why are you not bold? Why do you lack the courage and confidence to proclaim the gospel? The reason that you are not bold to proclaim the gospel is that you've not prayed for boldness. We cannot blame God for no courage and no confidence and no boldness if we've not prayed for it. You do not have because you do not ask. So pray for it. Ask God for it. Ask God to instill his boldness in you and then believe that he will do it because he will. Number three this morning and finally, accept bold gospel proclamation as God's answer to your prayers. Accept bold gospel proclamation as God's answer to your prayers. Have you seen God answer your prayers? Have you seen God do things in your life and you say, wow, God did that. God answered my prayers. God acted in my life. Has God ever answered your prayers perhaps in a way that you did not expect? We reach the end of this prayer that these Christians pray. It's not a long prayer. We only have two sentences that are recorded. And even in this short little prayer, God answers. Do you see how God answers? The place in which they were gathered together was shaken. The the place where they had gathered shook. It, It trembled. The people in that place felt it shake, and it was an important signal because it signaled that the very presence of God was among them. What happened? Let's 
take a journey here through the Bible for a moment. What happened back in the book of Exodus 19 when God comes down upon Mount Sinai and the whole mountain is enveloped in smoke and the mountain itself trembles? What happens when the prophet Isaiah is there in the temple and he sees the Lord high and lifted up, seated upon the throne and the train of God fills the temple with glory and he sees the angels that cry out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What happens then? The foundations of the temple shake. What happens when Jesus Christ is upon the cross, there bearing our guilt and our shame? And he breathes his last and he gives up his spirit. And the curtain that's in the temple that separated the holy of holies from the most holy place is rent, is torn in two. Why? Because now we have this complete access to God through Jesus Christ. And why did that happen? Because the earth shook. There was an earthquake. Why? Did the mountain shake? Why did the temple shake? Why did the earth shake? Why does this place shake after they pray? Because the very presence of the living God was among them. They knew that he would answer their prayers and that he was answering their prayers. And that then with this very presence of God himself, they even knew it because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. We've seen it again and again, but what happens when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? You speak. And so being filled with the Holy Spirit, they continue to speak the Word of God with boldness. They herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that was an answer to their prayer. Would that ever be an answer to your prayer in your life? when you proclaim the gospel, when you tell the gospel to somebody else, that you would say, praise God that that is an answer to my prayers, that I was able to boldly open up my mouth and lay it out there and say, this is what I believe. I believe in Jesus. I believe he is the son of God. I believe that he came and died and rose again and ascended into heaven and that there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Him. They had come to know here at the very end of their prayer if God was for them, if God had made all of these promises, if God had said, I will never leave you or forsake you, if God was for them, who could be against them? They were seeing what happened to those who opposed the Lord and His Christ. In the end, in the book of Revelation, it says this, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. Is that what you want to see happen? The kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. You can see that begin to happen today, my friends. You can begin to see that happen even now. How? 
when you proclaim boldly the gospel of Jesus Christ and people hear it and people believe it and people receive Jesus Christ, they are brought into this kingdom where Jesus is Lord. Praise God for answered prayer when you boldly proclaim the gospel, when you're able to open your mouth and speak to your neighbor, speak to your coworker, speak to your friends, speak to your kids, speak to your spouse. Ask God to let you lay it all out there, lay the truth of the gospel on the table, and then praise him for answered prayer. No credit in it for us. No putting, no patting ourselves on the back for conjuring up the boldness that we needed to say what we needed to say. But all glory be to God. Let's take a step back. Just take a breath. Almost done. Thank you for your patience. Let's take a step back this morning from this passage. And let's ask ourselves a simple question. What's going on? What's going on in this passage? What are these people doing? How would we put it today? These people having a prayer meeting? Getting together for prayer? To pray? First church, take time, set aside time to pray together. They were having a prayer meeting. They made this prayer meeting a priority. And what astounding, wonderful, inspiring, God-glorifying outcomes happen as a result of this prayer meeting. What, what do we think? What do we think about prayer? prayer meetings this morning for a second. My generation, my prayer meetings, those are, out, those are, those are for old people. <laughs> those are outdated. Those, that might have worked like 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, but prayer meetings, no one does. Those are outdated. Those are old. Give us, give us something livelier. Give us something more important. Give us something that we, we can really get behind, that we can really be excited about. Prayer meetings won't do anything but put people to sleep. My friend, if this is what we think, then we haven't really been to a prayer meeting. What greater way was there for them to show that they were completely dependent upon Him and to be bold about this gospel proclamation. They had to get together and they had to pray. They had to ask God to do great things in their lives. And then what happens? God does great things in their lives. With renewed commitment, let us say, let us come together and pray. Let us come together and see God answer our prayers. Let us come together and praise God for his magnificent sovereignty. Let us come together and ask God so that we might continue to speak his word with all boldness for his glory and for his glory alone. Amen. Let's pray.
take a moment this morning and just pray. Pray for boldness. Pray that God would give you what you need to open your mouth. Think about that person who's on your heart, who's on your mind, who doesn't know Jesus. And ask the Lord to use you to tell that person the truth of the gospel. God has put eternity into that one's heart. God, give us boldness in the midst of mounting pressure, in the face of persecution. Give us boldness in the face of lethargy and complacency and indifference. Stir our hearts and give us boldness. in the times when we feel like we have nothing to offer, nothing to give. The times when we feel like we don't know what to say. And the times when we doubt and question if it'll ever work. Give us boldness. We pray. We ask that you would do a work where you are bringing people into your kingdom for your glory and for your praise. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand together.